Our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke, the very last chapter. This particular chapter describes the events of Resurrection Day in the life of our Lord. The particular passage we're looking at is the two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus, beginning in verse 13. It's a narrative. Pay attention to the flow of the story, the details of the story. It'll save me a lot of effort in a few minutes trying to rehash it. So stay with the flow of the story as we go. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with them, with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to him to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those that were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he's known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Quite a few years before the risen Lord 
revealed himself to Paul on the Damascus Road. Jesus meets with two disciples on the Emmaus Road. Emmaus was a village about seven miles on the main Roman road coming out of Jerusalem. As most of you know by your study all your life, that Jerusalem is an elevated place. All the roads lead in elevation. They move up to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, of course, then is crowned by Zion's Hill, Mount Moriah, the temple complex, and all that's there. So any way you go out of Jerusalem, whether you're taking the Roman road or some other road out of town, you're going down in elevation. You're descending down the road. And that's what was happening to these poor disciples. They were descending not only in elevation, but in spirit. With each step they took, they were more confused, more discouraged, more despondent, more frustrated and upset. Because these two men were disciples of Jesus. They had followed Jesus. One of these men, his wife, had been one of the women at the foot of the cross. One of these men was a relative of Jesus. One of these men would father a son who would later become the bishop of Jerusalem. It could be, and this is sanctified speculation, which is one of my favorite pastimes, and that is to one of these men, these two men may have been a pair that had worked together when Jesus sent out the 70. Remember he sent them out two by two? It could be that these men together had been in the preaching ministry. They had preached, they had taught Christ, and they had high hopes and expectations. Every day that went along, every miracle they witnessed, everything they saw, everything they heard from Jesus, their, their expectations were heightened because they began to believe throughout these years of Jesus' ministry that He was indeed the Christ. He was indeed the Messiah. And their understanding of the Old Testament told them that this was good, the deliverer of Israel. This was the one who would come and redeem. This is the one that would throw off the, ro the yoke of Rome. This is the one that would deliver God's people. And while they'd been through great historical times with the Maccabeans and great times in the days of the settlement of Jerusalem and great days in the days of the kingdom and all the other things going back to King Saul, to King Samuel and King David, there had been all kinds of wonderful high points in Israel's life, but this was the highest. And the multitudes began to follow and they gained. These men had been there just one week ago, seven days earlier, they had seen Jesus ride into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. Hailed as the son of David, the heir to the throne. These men had stayed in Jerusalem and witnessed the events long enough to see something quite the opposite happen. They saw Jesus betrayed, Jesus taken, arrested, tried, multiple hearings beaten, scourged, mocked, condemned, crucified, buried. 
every expectation, every hope, everything they thought they understood about Jesus was obviously wrong. And they were devastated. It could be that their steps were slow. They were leaving Jerusalem because everything was over with. This was the first day of the week. They had seen the events of Friday with Christ being crucified. Nothing had happened at all on Saturday, the Sabbath. Luke says they just simply rested on the Sabbath. As Jesus was resting in the tomb on the Sabbath, the disciples were sitting in despair. The first reaction of most of these people apparently was to go back home. Peter had said, I'm going to go back fishing. Jesus had called me from the nets and the boats and the fish of Galilee and had told me he would make me a fisher of men, but those days are over. Peter was going back to fishing, taking Andrew, his brother, with him, taking his good friends, James and John. They were going to go back to their original calling in life. And these two disciples were going back home as well. They were walking back to Emmaus. So much so that as they're talking, this is therapeutic. When you're at the depths of grief, sorrow, confusion, it's one of the sweetest things in the world to have a companion walking alongside of you who's been through the same thing with you and you're sharing your perspective, your reasoning, sympathy. This was a very important therapeutic activity. Walking along in broad daylight, trying to sort it all out, trying to figure it all out. Who was this man Christ? What happened? Why did he happen? We can't take anything away from the gospel that he preached. It was a, a strong gospel. He was a man of prophetic gifts. He was a man that did mighty deeds and wonders. He was obviously of God. And yet, as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth and he stood condemned before Pilate and he accepted. And without a murmur, without a word, he went to the cross. And he endured that awful ordeal of torture and death. Then they took him dead and limp, wrapped him in a linen shroud and put him in a freshly hewn tomb. That's the last they saw of him. In fact, the men in the story have a hard time getting close to Christ after then. It's the women. It's the women that are at the cross. It's the women that take the body and make sure they see where it's laid out. It's the women that prepare the anointing spices and oils. It's the women that get up before dawn on, Monday mo on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, on their way back to the tomb where they had seen him lying there motionless, dead, wrapped in a bloody shroud, laying on a stone slab. It 
stone rolled in front, the Roman seal put on the stone, the guard posted. I would think that would pretty well convince me it was over. So much so that as they walked slowly along, going down, 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 emotionally as well as physically, Jesus joins them. <laughs> and he asked them what they're talking about. And he says, they stood still looking sad. They stood still looking sad. When we get to the end of the story, they're not standing still, they're running. <laughs> and they're not sad anymore. Their hearts are burning within them, they're thrilled, they're leaping with joy, they have a story to tell. This seven mile trip is about like if you were to go at American Airlines Center on the parking lot and take the Katy Trail to SMU up at Airline, turn around and walk back. That's about seven mile trip. I don't know how long it took them to walk to Emmaus, but I know they got back to Jerusalem pretty quickly. This time, they're going up. They are ascending to Jerusalem. And do you want to know what their hearts felt like? Read the last handful of Psalms. The last Psalms in the book of Psalms are the Ascension Psalms. They're the Psalms of going up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. They're the Psalms of victory. They're the songs of praise. They're the songs of joy. They're the songs of thrill. They're the songs of uplift. The Ascension Psalms. And that's what they were singing as they went up. What happened between standing still looking sad and moving fast, even perhaps running with joy and a burning thrill in your heart. <laughs> well, they had walked with Jesus. They had heard Jesus. They had seen Jesus. They had had communion and fellowship with Jesus. They had heard the gospel. These are the things that make the difference, all the difference in the world, in the life of the believer. It's the difference between standing still, stalled out, discouraged, completely out of emotional and spiritual energy, Sad, depressed, discouraged, despondent perhaps, and being filled with the gospel, filled with truth, filled with his spirit. What, what's the difference? Well, the difference is Jesus had opened to them the scriptures. They had believed the portion of the Old Testament which taught about the victory and the conquest and the reigning of the Messiah. 
They were expecting Christ to come in glory. They were expecting Christ to come in power. They were expecting Christ to be come high and lifted up and in charge and ascending and setting all things right. But they had not seen all the scriptures. They hadn't seen the total picture. They didn't have it all. And here's the missing part. The missing part, Jesus tells, uh, says to them, is that ought not, or was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Did you miss the part in the Old Testament scriptures that talked about my suffering? Did you miss the part that kept telling you about the sacrifice, the suffering that would go, the cross that would go before the crown? Did you miss that part? Apparently they had. And it's interesting, he said, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Interpreted means he, he caused them to understand. They were slow of heart to believe. They were dull of understanding. The darkness in their souls had kept them from really seeing the gospel truth in all of its light. So it says he opened the scriptures. Now, I don't know how long they went along this, this trail, but the story tells us that as soon as they got back to Jerusalem and met with the 11, that Jesus did the same thing there with the 11. He went through the scriptures. Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms explaining and showing, Christ showing where he himself was in all of those ancient writings and where they spoke of him. And I don't know what parts of the scripture Jesus highlighted, but any one of these few suggestions I have here would have changed their heart. Maybe he never got past Genesis 1-1 when he talked about the tree of life. Maybe he never got past Genesis 3 when he talked about the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Maybe he never got past Genesis 6 to 9 where he talked about the rest that God would give his people. That's what the word Noah means, rest. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you what Noah did not give you. Rest. Maybe he never got past Genesis 12 and following when he talks about Abraham, about the seed of Abraham that would come and would bring the blessing to not only Abraham, but to his descendants and all the peoples of the world would be blessed in this seed Maybe Jesus got so far as to talk about the Exodus. Maybe he talked a little bit about the Paschal Lamb, how this little tiny lamb was slain and the blood was splattered all over the place because it was when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The judgment of God passes over when there is blood that is shed Maybe he never got too far beyond 
the tabernacle in the wilderness, where he talked about the tent where God dwells right in the middle of the camp, right in the midst of his people. That Paschal lamb is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That tabernacle is the flesh of Christ. That's why Moses was ordered to build it according to specification. Do it like I told you to do it on the mountain, the Lord said, because every detail of that tabernacle spoke of Christ in his perfections. Maybe Jesus talked about the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the slab that had the blood on it, just like the slab in the tomb had the bloody body of Christ laid upon it with the two angels like the cherubim on either side, the foot and the head with their wings touching above, made out of one piece of solid gold. Maybe he showed them that was speaking of him. Maybe he didn't get past Exodus talking about the manna. The book of Numbers, the manna in the wilderness, how he sustained his people and how he is the bread of life. Maybe he never got past talking about the rock in the wilderness that was the fountain, the spring of living water that sustained God's people. Maybe Jesus got far enough to talk about Joshua and the conquest of the land and the keeping of the promises that God had made. How that not one single thing that God promised his people failed that it all had come to pass, and it was all led not by Joshua, but by that person that Joshua would see from time to time, the captain of the armies of the Lord. Maybe the Lord pointed out that he was that person. Maybe he got far enough into the text there to talk about Ruth, an ancestor to Jesus on the human side, and yet the story is that of a kinsman redeemer, someone who would come and because of his kinship, his relationship, his human connection would redeem his people. Maybe he was able in that discourse of the Old Testament to mention David, how that David was his progenitor, but David was the ideal king. David was the one who'd been anointed and the anointing that Christ had received to sit upon that eternal throne that had been given to David was his indeed. And that just like David, Jesus had crushed the head of the serpent, just like David's stone, living stone, crushed the head of Goliath the blasphemer and the enemy of God. I don't know how far he got down in the story. Perhaps he talked about Solomon, how that none was arrayed as Solomon, the splendor and the glory, the greatest potentate on the face of the earth for four decades, King Solomon in all of his splendor, how his very name means Prince of Peace, and Jesus himself is that peace with God and that peace with each other and that peace that comes to the world. I don't know, maybe Jesus just hit on a few things. Maybe he talked about the word tzaddik, the word righteous or justice that appears all through the Old Testament and talks about how Christ, he is our righteousness. Perhaps he talked about mercy. 
Perhaps he talked about love. Old Testament words, covenant love, steadfast love, the sure mercies of David, and how all of that each and every time spoke unmistakably of Christ. It could be that he talked about the great theme of the Old Testament in God's leadership of His people is that God was a shepherd. Every leader that Israel had was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. God shepherds His people. We read about it just a moment ago. Maybe Jesus covered this passage in Ezekiel 34. I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock. I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. On a crucifixion day when darkness filled the land. When the darkest deed of humanity was executed in the body of Christ. Maybe he moved over to Isaiah 53 and talked about that death that Christ was dying was a death in which he was bearing our sins. We like sheep have gone astray, and, but God has sought us and found us and rescued and brought us back and laid upon Jesus the iniquity and the penalty of our sins. Maybe Jesus went through some of Psalm 22 where he talked about the details, all the details of Jesus hanging on the cross. Maybe he spoke of that emotion that Jesus had had 48 hours earlier in his human body hanging on that cross where he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Maybe Jesus talked about the pathos of that hour with these men. I don't know what Jesus talked about. <laughs> Maybe... Maybe he went all the way back to the oldest book and picked up Job, where Job said in all the things that surrounded him and all the circumstances of life, he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and at the last day will stand upon the earth. That ancient seer saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe Jesus pointed that out to these men Maybe he took them to the book of Zechariah, chapter 13, where it says, Behold, I will open in Jerusalem a fountain. I don't know if they knew the tune. I, didn't know, I don't know if it was in a minor key, like they sing so many Hebrew songs, but he had to sing some version of there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood to lose all their guilty stains. There had to be some rejoicing. Maybe Jesus finished with Daniel, the great prophecy of Daniel, where there is one who is like the Son of Man, who is given dominion, and when all the kingdoms of the world become the kingdom of the Lord and the Christ. I don't know what Jesus told them. I just know that their souls were burning with the fire of faith. They had heard the Lord. They had seen the Lord. They had believed the Lord. And they had dined with the Lord. And the scripture says they recognized him in the breaking of the bread.